Time to say hi to James Marsh. Got a couple more to go before Christmas to expect lists. Lots and lots of lists. In the meantime, join us on Facebook Live if you can because it's Marshy Movie Time. Hello, James. That song takes me back a bit. I haven't heard that in ages. I bet it does. Was that one that you sing when you have your <clears throat> karaoke evenings? <laughs> karaoke, <laughs> kar- karaoke and Stella evenings. Yeah. It is It is a bit of a karaoke classic, that one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here we are live from James's couch. But there's some good stuff to talk about this week, judging by the posters you've sent me. Yes, there are definitely... I mean, you know, Hong Kong cinemas are still closed. That has now been extended, as far as we know, till 23rd of December. For now, they are shying away from telling us exactly what's going to be happening over Christmas. So all of our smugness over the fact that we were going to get Wonder Woman in cinemas a week before the rest of the world. Nope, that's not happening. Uh, I assume it will just now be in cinemas the day they reopen. Uh, But is that going to be before Christmas? We don't know. Certainly for the time being, they are closed, and so I've had to be rooting around on uh, various digital platforms to find sufficient things to talk about. Um, however, there, there are some good stuff. There is uh, David Fincher's big, holly, splashy Hollywood biopic, uh, Mank. Yeah. All about. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll get to what that's about. Can I ask you a question? Uh, Sound of. Yeah, of course. And, and the caveat is, yes, I know you will have talked about this and I know you will have mentioned it to me. What did you think of Godless? Uh, I've talked about it. No, actually, I haven't. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I, um, I haven't seen it. I don't know what that is. What is it? Um, it, it just have a, have a check it out. It's the wild, wild west. Lots of men get killed and lots of women take over and it's a really, really oh. interesting kind of western. If you haven't seen it, I have heard it of it. It's, it's a full TV on. show. It's shot beautifully. It's full on. It's. I, mm. I, I just wondered if you'd mentioned it because I'm, tr- I'm trying to work out if if I'm into it or not. Basically, <laughs> into a world without men. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have I have heard others talk about it, um, and that's a very interesting idea because you know the Wild West is obviously seen as this real sort of macho environment, um, but I have yet to see it, Go so ahead. I cannot comment. Right, uh, what we should on. really, we should really start by talking about the massive. I don't know if you saw any of this yet. Massive bombshell that Disney dropped this morning. No, hot on the hot on the heels of last week's announcement by Warner Brothers that they were going to release all of their 2021 films simultaneously on HBO Max as well as in cinemas wherever they might be open around mm. the world. Disney had already hinted that they were sort of going to pivot towards digital, towards Disney Plus, that they were going to start prioritizing that more and more. We already knew that, like, for example, the, Mar- the Marvel Universe was going to start spreading its wealth and developing TV shows for characters like Loki and Vision and uh, the Winter, Winter Soldier and the Falcon uh, that were going to sort of bleed in to the cinematic universe. Mm. But what D- Disney had their big sort of investors meeting this morning and announced just a huge slate of new stuff that is predominantly going to be sort of Disney Plus only. So uh, we have got uh, like 
a dozen new Star Wars spin-off shows. Um, you know, The Mandalorian was like their big flagship show to help launch Disney Plus, and that has been received incredibly well. Uh, the second season is out now. I still haven't watched any of it. I'm quite Star Wars out, to be honest. <laughs> but that's but this is bad news for me because they have now announced. Let's have a look. They've announced uh, Rogue Squadron, which is uh, going to be directed by Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman. There's a Lando Calrissian series. There's uh, a previously announced Obi Wan Kenobi series. There's going to be Star Wars: A Droid Story. I don't know what that is, but it's got robots in it. There's going to be something called Star Wars Visions, which is going to be an animated series uh, using Japanese anime. Uh, uh, artists so I don't know if it's going to be in Japanese or how, how they're going to do that mm. there's uh, Andor which is about uh, Diego Luna's character from Rogue One there's the Bad Batch which I believe is a spin-off from the uh, animated Rebels series there's uh, Ahsoka which is I believe a spin-off of Mandalorian basically they're going all out on as many different Star Wars spin-off series and films as you could possibly imagine now, in one in one sense, you're like, oh, fine, you know, finally they're expanding the universe of Star Wars properties, but they all seem to still have at least one finger in the Skywalker family pie, and that's always or increasingly been my issue with all the new Star Wars stuff that's been spinning out, particularly even with the recent movies, is that they can't get away from that original trilogy whatever they do everything still seems to have to have at least one skywalker in it or one kenobi in it or you know some yeah. tenuous link to an existing character and it's like the, it's it's an entire galaxy it's an entire universe why do you need to have this security blanket of luke and leia everywhere um and it's been increasingly frustrating but and it shows here that with all these new sort of tributaries that are that are now going to be uh, explored they all still seem to be clinging to back to the original trilogy and i think that that makes me just less and less interested but you i mean as somebody who doesn't know the first thing about this definitely not a fanboy gotta have those names in i'm assuming why i mean star wars well, surely <laughs> on its own is is enough of a brand i mean ever since sort of the 80s you've had a lot of star wars fan fiction you know there were there were a huge series of novels that really sort of spun out from that original trilogy and i think some of them were about certain characters going through jedi school and what have you but they made real use of the fact that it is an entire universe and that you can just go your own way and do something completely separate with the films you know, and yes, of course, there's a lot of money riding on this, but surely Star Wars, in and of itself, is enough of a brand for uh, to attract the audience, regardless of which stupid-looking aliens you have in it. But they seem very, very reluctant to do don't that. anger so, the Wookiee, as your T-shirt says. Well, this is this is my well. It's, it's I thought I'd wear something <laughs> vaguely themed. Yeah. Uh, because I knew I'd be on camera and it's, you know, it's, it's some, to some degree reflects my sentiments about all of this. It's like, they were fine. I mean, I've been, I've been less and less interested ever since George Lucas started tinkering with the original films back in the 90s. And only intermittently have I been genuinely encouraged by what they've released since that. Yeah. Uh, Rogue One, I think, is the best film to come out since the original trilogy but all of this just it's just 
noise. I don't care about any of this. And I think that's, I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem because I was absolutely target demographic wait back in the back in the day you know back in i remember 1983 when return of the jedi came out yeah. i had all the toys and i was insanely excited for it and that has carried over and, and i believe that people like me back then are the ones who are creating all of this stuff now but they just daren't spread their wings just a little wider and explore other corners of the universe all right well that's the grumble that's out the way that is the grumble. Well, there's more, because there is more to this announcement. So that's all the Star Wars stuff. They've also announced that they're going to be doing more Indiana Jones stuff. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be. There's also going to be some kind of reboot of Willow, if you remember that. The one Ron yes. Howard sort of fantasy film with Warwick Davis and Val Kilmer and Joan Whaley. So we'll see what they do with that. But, and then you've got the other massive property, which is the Marvel Universe, of course. So we've got previously announced things like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki. Uh, obviously, we've still got movies that have yet to come out, like Black Widow and yeah. Eternals, which both should have been out by now. Uh, they are going ahead with Black Panther 2, despite the death of Chadwick Boseman. They're not going to recast the character. They're just going to explore Wakanda and that universe. And I think that might end up being one of the most genuinely interesting of the new films. Uh, there's also going to be a Hawkeye show and... Um, a secret invasion show, which I think is Nick Fury and the aliens from Captain Marvel. They're just going in sort of every different di direction possible. And the sinking feeling I am getting from all of this is that if I'm going to continue, continue to watch and review and understand the films, yeah. I'm going to have to start watching all of this other nonsense as well. Get on with it. Uh, you know, and up until now, there has been no legal way to do that, but perhaps the most relevant and interesting part of this announcement today yep. is the fact that Disney Plus, which is their streaming platform, is going to be rolled out globally, including Hong Kong, at some point Yay. in 2021. So bad news for cinemas, you know, continuing I bad news for cinemas. bullet has been had... bitten, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, no, sadly, yes, I think so. I mean, look at what happened last week when Warner Brothers made their announcement, or rather AT&T, their parent company, made the announcement that all Warner Brothers films were going to be released simultaneously on HBO Max. And all of their big-name talent, like Christopher Nolan and whomever, all you know, were very vocal in their objections to this. They said they hadn't been consulted and that it's going to destroy the cinematic experience and that what a they are accusing AT&T of essentially using all of these big blockbusters to come as essentially a lost leader in order to roll out HBO Max globally. And, you know, it's, it does seem that Disney is using a slightly different strategy. You know, they, they're just doubling down on these uh, established IPs, Star Wars and Marvel and what have you. But just saying that if you want the full picture, if you want to know everything that's going on, you will need to buy into this uh, I think they've, they, they feel they've probably sat on the fence long enough I mean it doesn't help you don't get me wrong from a business point of view they've decided <laughs> yeah. this way or this way and there's your paradigm well, I mean, yeah I mean obviously everybody has taken a kicking this year um, Disney of course you know one of their biggest revenue streams are their theme parks yeah which obviously have all been closed pretty much all year and that must be at a huge loss. I don't know what they've done in terms of staff, whether they let everybody go or they're all furloughed or whatever. But either way, there is nothing coming in. And obviously that you've got to keep those 
uh, those theme parks running or at least uh, you know maintained even while they're closed and that's obviously costing them an arm and a leg so you kind of get why they're doing it but uh, the downside of course is that the cinematic experience as we know it yep uh, is under greater threat than ever we have about five th- three minutes before the news do you just want to tickle your first one yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, having said all of that, arguably the biggest film out this week is a is a Netflix original, which is Mank, uh, directed by David Fincher. This is his first film since Gone Girl in what, like twenty fourteen or something like that. So it's his first film in six years. He had, you know, attempted to get a number of things off the ground in the interim, including at one point he was attached to a sequel to World War Z with Brad Pitt, who with whom he's collaborated a number of times. He has worked with Netflix already on the Mind Hunter TV series, which is great. It's been yeah. that was one of my favourite um, Netflix shows to date, uh, and apparently we're not getting more of that, even though the story is unfinished. That's all about the you know the genesis of behavioural science, yep. catching serial killers, or the rest of it. That's it's a great who, show. Who still arguably were the stars in this? When, I think that might have been the point that they were the stars, the guys who played the serial killers. The serial killers, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the heroes of the piece, these sort of uh, psychologists and FBI agents. Uh, yeah, to a degree, they were kind of a little bit bland. Uh, not you know, not to take anything away from the performances. However, all <laughs> of that is to say that uh, David Fincher has finally uh, turned his attentions to this very long gestating uh, project, written by his late father Jack Fincher, and it was originally supposed to be uh, made in the '90s, but not least because David Fincher wanted to direct it in black and white yeah. for very obvious reasons. Um, Studios balked about on that, and it wasn't until Netflix agreed to stump up the cash uh, and the risk to make this big budget sort of Hollywood uh, spectacle in black and white that uh, it came to fruition. Tell you what, James, got a message here from Tim, who I think is an Aussie, so he's like, hello, just woke up. He goes, uh, thanks, Marshy. The Willow News had gone past me. One of my absolute childhood faves definitely gave this kid of the 80s some goosebumps and nostalgia. Can't wait for it. Watched it recently on Disney Plus here in Australia, he says. Aha. <gasps> uh-huh. Well, so you're, you're already drinking the Kool-Aid, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's trying uh... to be nice. Give him a break. <laughs> I know, I know, I can't help myself. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'd be curious to revisit Willow. I mean, that was a film I definitely went to see at the cinema, probably at a friend's birthday party or something. Um, I want, I'm curious how well it stood up, because I think it used a lot of special effects just at the point before CGI was really any good. So uh, I'd be curious, and I don't know which, which way they're going to go with it. I think probably a series, but who knows. Yeah. All right, then. So, give us a quick snifter of what we're going to be doing after the news, if you would. Well, I will review in in proper, in full, in uh, proper. Mank. Right. In proper. Uh, and also, yeah, I want to talk about a couple of other films, a couple of indie darlings uh, that are now available digitally. Uh, Sound of Metal, which is on Amazon Prime now, yep. and the, 40, the 40-year-old version, which is on Netflix. All right, have a little rest. Back in a second, let's get to the weather, you and me. Right, Mank. All yours. Mank, who is, of course, Herman Mankovich, who is the screenwriter of Citizen Kane. Kane. 
And so nominally, this is the story of how that screenplay... It's not the making of Citizen Kane, but it's how the screenplay came into yeah. uh, existence. Uh, so you've got Gary Oldman as Herman Mankiewicz, uh, very sort of uh, outspoken, uh, left-leaning... Alcoholic. He has, alcoholic. He has to be. In a story about Hollywood, he has to be an alcoholic loser, but a brilliant yeah. talent. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a movie. He certainly it? was... Oh, yeah, he's certainly one of these sort of uh, booze-sodden sort of artistic geniuses, geniuses. who has yeah. enjoyed a fairly sort of healthy career as a screenwriter in Hollywood, you know, a bit of a sort of journeyman, if you like, through the, the, the 30s. And now we meet him, and it's 1940. He's broken his leg in a recent traffic accident, car accident, and he's now uh, laid up in this sort of little uh, sort of secluded hideaway where they've put him and it's like, right, okay, now you just have to sit, lie there and write this screenplay. He has a secretary with him, played by Lily Collins, uh, because he can't operate the typewriter because of his injuries, so he dictates. Uh, and then what we do is the film is structured around a number of uh, flashbacks as we go back to from 1930 all the way through the 30s and we see his relationship to uh, not least William Randolph Hearst. Now, of course, Randolph Hearst was a big sort of media mogul, the kind of Rupert Murdoch of his day, on whom Citizen Kane was based. Uh, rather unflattering portrait of him. Oh, now, yeah. it, charts, it charts the sort of the, the uh, relationship between the two. Uh, uh, Hearst here played by Charles Dance rather rather wonderfully and you know they started off actually getting on rather well Hearst liked the way Mank spoke he said uh, you know he would always speak his mind he would always you know he had no filter as you might say today and so uh, Hearst liked having him around but increasingly certainly as Hearst increasingly began to interfere in politics California politics and use his ties to Hollywood and his relationship with Louis B. Mayer in particular to create propaganda in order to influence local elections, uh, the relationship between Mank and Hearst sours to the degree that Mank comes up with this idea for a screenplay and uses that. Yeah, he's been hired by Wells to write the screenplay albeit kind of as a ghostwriter without credit you know what wells's contract with rko said that he had sort of final cut and full creative control much in the same way that netflix gives to its filmmakers <laughs> yeah and and um so Mankiewicz was writing it for him and was going to get obviously paid for it but he, he wasn't going to get any credit and one of and they butt heads over a number of things not least credit mm. getting credit for your work so on the you know, on the surface, it looks like this is going to be a sort of fairly traditional sort of Hollywood biopic, you know, a movie about making movies. But that is definitely sort of not really the case. I mean, this is less a film about making movies than it is a movie about movies, and it's Fincher sort of emulating the style of Orson Welles as much as he is telling the story about, uh, you know, about about this sort of creation. Welles in the film is somewhat of a sort of peripheral figure you know mm. he is this sort of un this spoken about presence that you only see sort of fleeting that sounds away. pretty cool though that they've effectively really made it about Mankiewicz because obviously Wells is the you know famous one well that's exactly it you know this is all about sort of the, the unsung 
creator, as, as it were, because, you know, every, the only thing anybody ever remembers about Citizen Kane is this was, it was all Orson Welles. Yeah. And it was all about, you know, it was created by, written, produced, directed by, and starring Orson Welles. It was this huge kind of vanity project, if you like, for this young upstart. He was still only in his 20s at the time. Uh, and, and so this is an opportunity to shine light on Mankiewicz, uh, who was a very sort of tortured soul, uh, you know, very sort of unpopular to some degree, uh, but whose story is somewhat fascinating. I mean, it should be pointed out that the film has received some criticism for being uh, historically inaccurate at times, but that's obviously a decision. That's not, um, that's not a mistake. Um, you know, you don't make a film like this mistakes in terms of when other films came out that are referenced and the fact that age discrepancies between characters and performers playing them and uh, the chronology of events. This, this doesn't, mistakes like this don't happen by accident. This is clearly sort of by design. And it, uh, on the, it really sort of just highlights the fact that this is a fictitious world that is being created. This isn't supposed to be taken verbatim. This is sort of the illusion and the, the dream, you know, what they call it, the dream factory, right? Hollywood is, is kind of like this, this sort of dream factory. And so what you do is, like I said, you get a film that is told in the style of Orson Welles. Uh, and, you know, it uses, like I said, black and white photography. Sure. It uses a lot of the same, it emulates or imitates a lot of the same techniques that um, mm. Wells was innovating at the time. You know, a lot of um, uh, deep focus, a lot of low camera angles. You know, because a lot of this stuff, one of the problems with when Citizen Kane was made is that, you know, it's, it's all shot on sound stages, and sound stages don't have ceilings traditionally. You know, that's where all the lights are and everything. And um, Wells was using all of these very low camera angles. And so they had to sort of build in all of these ceilings, especially for him, or dig, and even like dig holes in the, the ground, the, the floor of the sound stage yeah. in order to get the camera at the angle that, that Wells wanted. And you see Fincher using a lot of these same techniques. Wells was obviously, like I said, very sort of egotistical, narcissistic, very precise about what he wanted. And, you know, we have heard many, many stories over the years that Fincher see, probably, you know, sees a little of himself yeah, in Orson Welles. You know, Fincher is, is egotistical. There are stories coming out right now that certain sequences uh, demanded over a hundred takes from Gary Oldman at one point. Amanda Seyfried, who's rather good as Marion Davis in the film, one of the starlets and a sort of love interest of, of Hearst's, even though she's much, much younger. She's like an actress who's an old friend of Mankiewicz and is the young love interest of, of Hearst. Uh, she says that one scene that she did, they required over more than 200 takes in order to do. Insane. So, you know, it, by no means is this a perfect film. I mean, Fincher is just as innovative technically always has been as Wells was in his own way at, at the time, uh, albeit now in, in different ways, particularly the um, the invisible melding of digital technologies and uh, traditional filmmaking techniques. Mm. Uh, so you see a lot of that. I mean, in terms of subject matter and just the tone of the piece, it's somewhat lighter than a lot of Fincher's stuff. I mean, Fincher obviously is famous for, for Seven and Fight Club and The Social Network are probably his biggest films over the years. And they all have this kind of very sort of moody, quite oppressive sensibility to them. Yeah. Whereas there's a certain sense of sort of frivolity and joy and mischief to Mank. I mean, certainly in Gary Oldman's portrayal of uh, Mankiewicz himself, 
you know he's definitely he's always one to sort of kick the hornet's nest if you like you know he'll, he'll be sitting in on a number of these conversations between very powerful figures in hollywood and california politics all plotting their machinations of how they are going to upset certain elections, you know, and get their guy into into power. And Mankiewicz often finds himself the the guy on the on the sidelines making the snarky comments and pointing out just how uh, oppressive their and right wing and fascistic their political points of view are, yeah. and how and the differences between socialism and communism, and the, you know, and that is obviously. Uh, something that reflects on the present day you know these these supposed insults being thrown around of, of socialism being a dirty word and it's no mistake that Sinclair who's the politician who is arguably the victim of all of this is being played by Bill Nye the science guy <laughs> not known as being an actor so it's almost the the persecution of you could read it as being sort of the persecution of science and the fear-mongering of socialism by the elite, which is something we are certainly seeing today. So there is a lot going on, on a number of levels, whether it's just a reverence to Hollywood or whether it's a commentary on the state of American politics today or whether it's, it is just sort of, yeah, sort of a fanboy of Orson Welles's and what do you think? What did you think it was? Purely your opinion. Um, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I was uh, surprised by the approach that it took. I admit I was expecting a somewhat more traditional sort of historical biopic. And what I meant was, you know, you said uh, it's a state, of the, a state of America now. It's an allegory for this. I mean, did any of those things actually hit you in the gut that, yeah, I think it is this one, this theory? Well, it's all of them. You know, it's, it's like any of these things. It's there if you want, if you see it. But if what you see it, it's was there. your gut opinion of this that's what i'm getting at here like you know of course it's yeah. there we so can you're asking me you're asking me did i like the film no i'm asking you which one of the put off whatever move on <laughs> i like i like it for all of those reasons okay you know i recognized all of those that's what i'm trying to say is that yeah. I, I recognize all of those things in it and i appreciate it for all the things that it's trying to do mm -hmm. the film is even structured in a similar way to how Citizen Kane itself is structured, which was all, of, which is essentially sort of a detective story, an investigation, peeling back, uh, flashback upon flashback, flashbacks within flashbacks, uh, in order to get to the bottom of who Kane, Charles Foster Kane, the main character of Citizen Kane, mm. who he was, and of course the um, rather enigmatic uh, Rosebud and the meaning behind his dying word Rosebud yeah. and there is a, a reflection of that structure the structure of that film within the structure to Mank um, as I said you know so I appreciated everything that it was trying to do I think it's mostly successful I think it is rather beautiful to look at I would have loved to see it on a big screen because it is visually rather resplendent um, I think, like I said, it, it does come across a bit sort of light-hearted and a bit sort of trivial and frivolous at times. It, you know, I think it was obviously trying to be sort of playful and reverent, but some of it does feel a bit kind of in, inconsequential, dare I say, or too... Bleak. Uh, yeah. No, no, the, quite the opposite. Too uh, invested in being visually uh, and visually sort of clever and ref referential yep. that it's at the expense of sort of substantive drama all right well we just got a message here from steve you just said visual by the way i'm just gonna leave that one out here yeah. oh, yes. just got a message from steve who says and there was me thinking it was going to be a manchester gangster movie 
That's why you're banned from listening oh, to Radio my... 3 forever, Steve. Let's move on. What else you got? Okay, so, so yeah, and I will watch it again, for sure. Uh, so, so I want to talk about Sound of Noise, which stars Riz... Uh, it's an American indie stars Riz Ahmed as a... Uh, the drummer of a rock duo. Uh, Olivia Cook plays the singer who is also his uh, love interest. He's a recovering addict who then begins to lose his uh, hearing, you know, probably because of the exposure to loud noises that his profession and art uh, subjects him to. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, it means he can't do his job. Uh, he, it threatens his... Uh, his road to recovery, you know, the increasing frustrations of losing his sense of hearing and being sort of confined to a world without sound, uh, throw into jeopardy his, his, uh, his, his recovery. And so he goes to a special kind of, uh, sort of camp, if you like, which is populated by recovering addicts who are all deaf. <laughs> and it's about his struggle. And so on the surface, it seems like a fairly traditional kind of story of, yeah, addiction and the road to recovery and it, it quite interestingly uses the notion of hearing almost in the same way that you might use a dependent a dependency to a drug or to alcohol or whatever mm. in the in the way that it's represented but this is about somebody who is essentially being deprived of his hearing and is being forced to live his life differently but in within the framework of it being sort of a story of of addiction and getting right. over the fact you got to do that um Obviously, the sound design is very, very sort of experimentally handled, and actually, you're supposed to watch the film with with the um, hard of hearing subtitles on. Uh, you know, those are. I believe I checked on Amazon Prime now, and they are actually optional. But uh, when I was shown the film, they, they were on, and they're supposed to be on yeah. the whole time, so that as the sound design sort of deliberately muffles some of what is being Got it. said, you are beginning to experience the film in the same way that somebody with hearing impairment might have heard i thought it was it's really sort of smartly done so yeah on the surface it's a fairly traditional story but it's told creatively and riz ahmed young pakistani british actor who people will know from the night of and rogue one and four lions and what have you is uh, really rather good as a guy Brilliant. uh who has to deal with a new world without sound. I'm curious if you've read any crits or, or reactions from people who actually are musicians. I'll tell you why I said this, because very often mm. when Hollywood represents the musical industry, um, they get it wrong and they make a lot of weird suppositions that just wouldn't happen. And I'm wondering, I'm, you know, I haven't seen this one, so no idea. Um, I haven't. I mean, but, but to be perfectly honest, the characters are represented as being very much sort of fringe participants to the industry. I, I, even yeah, right just, from I'm the just start. wondering what kind of the reviews mm. have been like, because what I mean is sometimes they just technically get things wrong. I'm not saying for one minute they might have done in this one. The fact that somebody who's a percussionist is going to lose his hearing because it's about banging things. Well, that's not necessarily true, but I'm just wondering what the reaction has been in this. I mean, the film doesn't 100%... Um, state that the reason he's losing his hearing is because he's banging things. Yeah. Um, the doctor suggests that that might well be a factor it and certainly well. suggests that he needs to with remove himself from that environment as immediately and that's his livelihood and that's so that it. causes immediate, immediate problems. Um, that said, I know, f I mean, I, I, I don't know for a fact, but I have read that Riz Ahmed yeah, we're having a marshy cut-off for a second. Let's see if he comes back. He's, like, frozen on the screen. I think he might be seriously frozen on the screen, too. He knows that Riz Ahmed 
I think he actually might have gone there. Um, so, therefore, I think what we might do is just uh, leave it with Marshy for today because he's told you about the coolest stuff that he possibly can anyway. So, James, I know you can't hear me, but thank you very much for your time. It's been a pressure. I actually get the last word. <laughs> I